you're listening to the Google Ads Podcast, brought to you by Solutions Aid, the Google Ads Agency. It's Gosman with the Daily Google News, and I'm excited about today's topic because it's one that terrifies me, and it probably terrifies you too, even if you don't realize it. I'm joined with my new buddy, James Crame. James, thanks for being here. No, no problem at all. And James, you've got, I think like when you described what it is that you do, I immediately thought to myself, man, I wish somebody did that for me. For my listener who wasn't there and during our pre-record, James is uh, an e-commerce consultant that choppers into e-com businesses, tries to learn everything that he can about the business, top to bottom, left to right, goes as deep as he can, and then works towards optimizing whatever the business needs. And so that could be visibility or CRO or backend or wherever he sees the chance for improvement. How did I do there? Is that the way you describe it? Yeah, pretty much improving product offering, working out where the gaps are, trying to fix problems, really. So just kind of choppers in as a specialist, works really close with e-commerce brands, currently accepting new clients? Yeah, definitely. So if you're an e-com brand and you sound like you want somebody who does what James does, reach out to him. I'll include his contact info in the description of this video. James shot me an email. He just had an idea for a video. And I was like, dude, that's brilliant. Let's do it together. And the idea, I'll try to put it in a nutshell, James, and then I'll ask you to expand upon it. But it's basically, what do e-com business owners do in order to contend with the feast or famine that is specifically paid traffic, but just digital marketing in general? Because if you've been running e-com campaigns for 48 hours, you know that there are these insane peaks and valleys and they're inexplicable. It feels like when you're in a valley, it feels like you're doing something horribly wrong. And when you're at a peak, it feels like you're a genius. And neither is true, by the way. Like both of those things are incorrect. How did I do defining the problem there? Pretty bang on. I mean, we all dream of that level playing field where you take right. your entire year's revenue and divide it into 365 days. So you know what's coming in every day of the week. But the reality is that's not the case. And you can really go from those highs, like you say, to those lows. And there's a big temptation to make some dangerous decisions when those lows hit. And it's hard to, to mitigate those really, I guess. So a question that maybe is a little more marketing philosophy or, or even conspiracy theory before we get into the specifics, why do you think that happens? Is it algorithmic? Is it market? Is it a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. I think even sometimes it can be seasonality that you don't intrinsically understand that is part of your marketplace. Uh, mm. And again, that's more dangerous for the newcomer because like obvious things like seasonality can be you sell snowshoes and it's the first day of summer. Your sales are probably going to tank and right. it's pretty obvious why, right? But say, for instance, you sell takeaway packaging and you don't realize it, but a big portion of your customer base might be selling to schools. If their summer hol holiday starts, your sales are going to decline. You may not necessarily know why, or it might just be the weather. And those sort of things do happen behind the scenes. And I feel that's probably a big part of it. Obviously, you've got general market trends such as a financial crisis, so on and so forth, energy prices that people worry about. And that might cause a general depression. But the big swings, I think, generally tend to be in my opinion, at least, behind the scenes are seasonality driven and elements to the marketplace you might not immediately understand or know why they happen down the chain. Can I tell you two stories? Go for it. Story number one, we had a client that sold, among other things, but one of their core product offerings was a special type of industrial cleaner that was meant to, that was meant to clean a very specific types of metal. And okay. the, the implementation of which was mostly for like machining shops. In this story, it gets so interesting because we ran into this. They had this huge sales decline, couldn't figure out how or why. And it wasn't even us that cracked the code. They, they had a third-party consultant that came in to help them clean up their emails. And the person came in to clean up their emails, this huge email database, and then clean it in forever. And so they were just trying to like figure out how to solve the problem across all levels of analysis. And this email 
guru asked, what's the deal with great clips? And they're like, what do you mean? And she was like, you have a ton of people from Great Clips in your email database. And they ended up tracking all the way back that Great Clips is a massive franchise, by the way. It's like 42,000 franchise owners or something. At one point in one of the Great Clip member forums, somebody said, in order to clean your clippers, we found that this solution works really, really, really well. They Somebody mentioned this industrial cleaner that's meant for machining shops, but also apparently cleans clippers. That one mention got added to the Great Clips SOP as far as like the product that they were buying and all these haircut 42,000, not all 42,000, but a ton of them were buying this stuff. And when COVID landed, all the haircut places closed. And so they stopped buying everything, including the solution. But what I thought was so interesting is they had no idea for ostensibly years that a bunch of hair salons were buying their product because they never asked. They never asked. They never checked. They were as shocked as everybody else was. And if you're watching this, don't assume you know who your customer is. Don't assume yeah. <laughs> you know who it is that's on the receiving end, because unless you ask, you're never really going to have the full view. And that's all they needed to do was just ask. And that's so easy. It's post-service, follow-up email, NPS scoring. But I just thought that that was like the best, most poignant example I've ever heard of. Oh, you have no idea who your customer is. It's amazing. And it is often those small things that you find that out from, like like the email trail that you suddenly go, this is why that happened. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I, I mean, I've got 16,000 people on my email database, which is funny. We just wiped it clean and we got, we started over and I haven't looked at that or segmented it. I'm such a massive hypocrite. Fun, weird story number two on the same topic that you offered. Me and my business partner, John, talk about this all the time. At Solutions 8, when we're doing lead generation, now that's not e-commerce, but I'd be interested in your opinions on this because I think that the two play together. We run lead gen campaigns for ourselves. And what we've noticed, and this has happened for years, is all of a sudden I'll get like a pet supplement company and then I'll get another one. So I'll get two pet supplement companies back to back and then I'll get like travel broker and then I'll get another one. And there's this weird theme where when I get a lead from a specific industry or vertical, I'm almost guaranteed to get another lead from that vertical. People talk. <laughs> Is that it? So man, gosh, because we go back and forth. Like I keep thinking, is Google trying to match based off of such specific demographic and psychographic profiling factors that when it sees a conversion from somebody that matches an avatar, it's just that much more likely to give me that same avatar? And if that's the case, maybe that carries over into the feast or famine we see with e-com. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you're probably right. And maybe it's a bit of both. I mean, I know from embedding myself into certain industries, yeah. you know a lot of people in those industries after a few years. and you then have relationships and find out who's using this for that and who's mm -hmm. getting their stuff from where. And that dialogue can be quite casual. Even competitors will have relationships with each other. So if they don't see that company as a, a massive threat to them, they're maybe in a different town or a different city where they're not on each other's, like treading on each other's toes. It possibly could just be word of mouth. You'd struggle to find that out. The risks of the feast or famine. So first bullet point I have for me, you here is how this can be really dangerous for newcomers because you induce panic, you make horrible rash decisions. So talk to specifically our newbies, prep them, like let's coach them on, hey, here's what to expect. And this is why it's fine. Going from experience here, when I first started out, you'd be having sales start to climb gradually. You notice these trends, you're selling, I don't know, 10 items a day. It's great. You're all happy. And then all of a sudden, it stops and you have a day where the phone doesn't ring. There's no sales going out the door and you're kind of like, what did I do 
wrong now there's plenty of things you can do even further wrong at that point such as immediately making changes to your pricing just going mm. wild and assuming it's something along those lines that uh, you suddenly need to have like an offer that's going to drag more people in or something or even changing website themes i've, I've seen people do that they get a decline and they're like i, I just need to rebrand my site it, it must be something to do with that without really even researching into it which is completely crazy but there's lots of things you can do which really can protect you from making any crazy decisions and one of those things is when you first set your site up, I guess, get an idea, get Google Analytics installed for one, even just to use it as a benchmark of how many users you're getting a day so that you look on the real-time view. And when I go on here around lunchtime, there's usually 200 people browsing or 100 people browsing, whatever num that number is, you can get a benchmark of what's going on. And again, there's plenty of other places you can create these benchmarks, your Merchant Center account, if you have one, your AdWords account, if you're running ads, you can use Lighthouse, you can use Clarity. So Lighthouse, I mentioned because you may want to benchmark your page speed before you even have a problem just to get an idea of how your pages behave and mm. what an acceptable load time is. Getting an idea of how your normal behavior of your website is, even right at the start, is a good point to, to be at because then when things do go wrong, you kind of got a checklist that you can run through to say, do things look healthy? Do things look like they normally look when things are good? Because that's a good indicator that you're not the problem. <laughs> and more so, it could be an external factor like seasonality, etc. You hit on quite a few things there that I want to revisit, but there's an overarching theme that I think is brilliant. When you're attempting to diagnose the problem, first of all, if you have a problem, try to diagnose it. Don't react, right? Prescription without diagnosis yeah, yeah, is malpractice. Yeah. Take some time I've to like kind of view the situation. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people do that too. Change the website, change the offer, change the name. I tell this story all the time. It's obnoxious, but um, we were running an email marketing campaign and the email was performing poorly. And so I was tweaking the body of the email. And when we dug into it, it was the subject line that was performing poorly because nobody was opening the damn email. So I'm tweaking a body that's not even being read. But that's not, if you go to the thing that you think you're good at or that you think you can fix. So if you run into this problem, the way to diagnose the problem is to look at what, what's the lead indicator, which is, I love that you mentioned the Google Analytics thing because it's my sales drops today. The first question is, well, did my traffic drop today? Exactly. Because yeah. if my traffic did not drop today, now I know there's potentially a problem on site. But if yes. my traffic dropped, now I know, all right, let's go look at, now is that organic traffic, paid traffic, referral traffic, email traffic? Yeah. But it gives you the ability to begin to figure out what is it that's going on. Pigeonholing and, and, and separating out what those potential uh, aggravating factors might be, yeah. where that problem may, may exist. So obviously, if you find that it's your traffic is still the same, then yeah, you need to start looking at, does your checkout work? Does your add to cart button work? Can you go through the checkout on a different browser to your normal browser? Check out as a guest, check out on a different like internet provider. I've seen all sorts of weird things in the past where even ISPs have had an issue and all of a sudden some of your website doesn't work because you're relying on a third party piece of code that's maybe just not being passed through the, the network properly, I guess. But it, it, it's surprising how many people don't check out their actual site functionality when they have a problem and they don't realize that it's their site that's at fault. I know when you guys do your onboarding, right, you make sure that people's checkouts work because people often have issues. I mean, really, really, I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but when I was a lot more inexperienced, I had a, a site that was running for about three years with a broken checkout and I had no idea because at no point did I think, I'll check out as a guest and then go and try and change my address, which happens quite frequently. People get halfway through a checkout and decide, do you know what? I need to deliver it to my neighbor because I'm not going to be in, maybe. And when you do that, it chucked out the checkout and wouldn't let you back in. And it was infuriating. And it was like, I had no idea that that problem even existed. 
And when I found it, I kicked myself because I saw about a 30% increase in sales straight away afterwards when I sorted oh, it out. No. So there are silly things like that that you really do need to test and you need to be kind of testing that anyway as a matter of best practice, I think, making sure that your website actually functions properly. And like I say, making sure you can check out as a guest. I think this is more important for websites that are self-hosted, not so much Shopify, where it's kind of harder to break things that substantial. Although Shopify like can break. I mean, you can break it if you try real, real hard, especially if you're oh, messing yeah, yeah. with customers. You can break anything if you try hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have proven that theory. My yes. wife, she wrote a book. That's called Postpartum Me. Go buy my wife's book. She wrote a book and she wanted to get speaking gigs. And so we sent out like press releases and we had some kind of put some fire behind it and she wasn't getting any responses. And it was a couple of months into it. She went to her website and there's a contact us form and she tried to fill out the form on the website and it just didn't work, period. And the minute we fixed the form, same story, she starts getting a ton of like inquiries for podcast speaking stage, whatever. And it was devastating because that's after all the marketing stopped. It's like, what did we miss out on for that time yeah. where the form wasn't even working? I just wrote a Twitter thread about this. Go hire somebody on Fiverr. Say, I'm going to pay you whatever a month, 20 bucks a month or something. It's the best $20 a month anybody will ever spend. What would even be even better is, because there's a bunch of people on Fiverr that will check your website for you. And they check you know, mm. all links, all conversion opportunities, all browsers, all devices, or a myriad of them, because I don't think there's a way to truly check all of them. Yeah. And what I would do is I'd offer them a bounty. I'd be like, hey man, for every mistake you catch that's actually a significant mistake i'll give you a buck or i'll give you 10 bucks or whatever it is and now they're they're properly incentivized to go do it but they'll record themselves on loom walking through your website checking it because things break all the time we added a chat widget recently to a website and Mm. uh, there was just a conflict of code for an external chat widget i think it broke an option set on one of those sites and you couldn't select options and not every product has options. So it's kind of like, we just caught it by chance and we're like, Hey, hang on a minute. We can't do this certain function on the website. And it was a critical function. So it is really important. I think an important takeaway is you're never above that. You need to make sure that Mm. no matter how big your website is, you, you need to be checking these things are working because it it can creep in. It only takes a developer to drop a slight theme change that pushes an important button off the side of the page somewhere by accident. It happens. I love that you're never above that. Your next note, how to keep a cool head and what to do during the famine period. You've got, I don't want to say an SOP, but you have some advice to people as to what to do, steps and processes, et cetera. Yes, we've touched on quite a bit of it already, I guess. First thing, have you made any changes to your website recently? This is like the first thing, checking your site actually functions. So we've covered making sure your cart works, your checkout works, you can register Mm. as a guest, you can register so on and so forth. Multiple devices that you can use. Is, your, is it displaying properly? Once you kind of work through that and you've worked out that it's not the functionality of your site, then like you say, if your traffic's good, you need to start looking at potentially your offering. What we would tend to do is we'll go and do what we call a visibility check. We will go on to Google. We will go and see if our product placement is good for Google shopping ads, for instance, if it's e-commerce, the search ads are there, that your normal organic rankings are there. So if you're using a tool like SEMrush, if you've set that up previously to your outage, you should have an idea of where some of your best performing keywords sit normally. And you can go and look at those and go and say, right, I used to be position three for my best selling products. Has that now gone? Is that disappeared? Once you've kind of said, right, I'm definitely there still, is your offering good? Is your pricing right? Is there a new competitor that's kind of beating you to the punch on their pricing so that you're getting some of the clicks and you're seeing the traffic maybe, but because people kind of, I don't know if I'm the only person who does this. I feel like a lot of people do. I've definitely got a friend who has way too many tabs open all the time. Oh, dude, I go down the line. I'm like, open, 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 open. Exactly. So you get all the visitors. But if someone's price is cheaper, you just see that as a bounce. 
Right. And you've got to make sure your offering offering is competitive. Now, your offering can be competitive in a number of ways, right? It can be delivery speed, might be the way your offering is better. It might not always be price, so that's worth considering. But if someone's significantly cheaper than you, that's always a really painful factor. And that's something that you might find and think, okay, this is my best selling product. I'm normally selling 100 of these a day. It's stopped. Is this new competitor that's, all, that's just popped up is now occupying the top uh, product shopping bar. And I'm focusing on shopping because it's the easiest one to use as sort of an example sure. of this. Are they poaching your customers? You're still getting the traffic, but you're not getting the, t- the transactions. And that might be a factor. And that can be a factor if your traffic's dropped. You might see less traffic because this people aren't even getting to your website, maybe. If that's not the case then you kind of need to start looking into your merchant center, make sure that your feed is, you're getting your click-through rates, you're getting all the sort of things that you need to see when that indicate how your site is healthy at that point. We'll go through, we'll make sure that you're visible, your offering is good. If that's all good, you can kind of start to breathe a bit easier because you kind of then know it's just a trend in the market. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's always the trend in the market, but you've got a good indication that it's not you. If your pricing is good, you're visible. Why wouldn't people be buying from you like they normally are? I mean, there are other factors you can find when you're in that process, like your ads aren't there. Has your card been declined? <laughs> it happens, especially with the, like, obviously Google changes their costings. It's sometimes hard to predict what your spend is going to be, right? Depending on how your account's set up. And I've seen multiple accounts where they're like, oh, our ads aren't working. I don't know why. And it's, there's a card declined email in some admin inbox somewhere that they don't know about. But yeah, I mean, that's once you've done all that, there are other things you can do. And we talked about having friends in the marketplace and how you can kind of get an idea of who's who else is in the marketplace that you deal with on a daily basis. So your suppliers, et cetera. But what an interesting Often, idea. You go ask them. You're like, hey, are yeah, you how, Casually, yeah. How are things yeah. going? Like, are you busy? What's going on? In a casual way, don't, don't obviously pick up the phone and go, hey, our sales have stopped. Please help. <laughs> oh, I do that now. I'll, I'll call my agency buddies and be like, dude, I am bleeding right now. Like, what is the, <laughs> what is going on? And it's always interesting because I've got some friends that I'm close enough to where they're like, oh no, me too. And that's yeah. when I'm like, thank God. But the minute they're like, oh man, we're just crushing life. That's when I know, okay, I suck at something and I need to go figure it so, out. Something's wrong. Yeah, right. well, no, it's just trying to diagnose what it is. But I think biggest thing that I take away from the situation, once you've gone down that list of panic and what's going on and try and diagnose everything you can and you get to the bottom of the party, you're like, okay, I've given myself a small checklist of jobs because I found out that there is a new supplier that's got a better image than I've got to mm. drag people in or a better headline on their ads or they've got a better page title on my best-selling product. So I need to make some changes or I've, I've lost an ad rank, search into position. Maybe I need to go revisit some of my, my page content and, and get that bumped up. But once you've gone through that, you've got like a nice window where you can kind of go, right, I don't need to panic so much. I don't need to make any knee jerk reactions, which is a fatal mistake in my opinion. You can then adjust those few things that you've actually taken a measured approach to and take some time to actually get on with your normal job it's a terrible terrible thing when and i don't know if i'm terrible i'm saying this is a bad thing to do and don't do it but i do it myself you can find yourself just staring at analytics and trying to wish sales into the inbox and you're like come on i need another inquiry i need another order come on we need to do this you're not gonna you're not gonna change anything by just staring at your inbox you might as be better off using that time to be productive and just get on with what you were planning on doing that day before the phone stopped ringing yeah i had a business partner who's maybe the best salesperson i've ever known in my entire life and he always used to say we don't control our results we control our activity and that always used to frustrate me because i was like well i want results i don't want activity and you know he was a hardcore sales guy so his whole thing was like how many calls have you made 
Because if you haven't made 100 calls, you're not going to make a sale. And if you make 100 calls at Clockwork, you're going to make the sale. And I feel like the yeah. same thing is true for e-com. Maybe not quite as connected, but it's how much content you're creating, how many links have you built, how many strategic partnerships have you built, how many booths have you done, how many videos have you shot, how much are you doing on social? And you'll figure out what the equivalent of your 100 calls is. And now you know. I've made yep. my 100 calls. And if things are down, you sort of know what levers to go pull on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good takeaway. I mean, well, I was going to ask, actually, I guess you must get this. How do you deal with clients when they suddenly come to you and go, hey, the phones have stopped ringing? Is there like an internal strategy that you guys have to like mitigate a customer who's in full on meltdown mode? Yeah. Uh, so here's my advice to agencies. Number one, I'm so afraid of saying this because I'm, I know this is going to be thrown back at me. We should be the first one saying it. So we do, depending on the client spend, if they're not spending a ton, we'll, the longest period of time that we'll go without looking at an account is three days. So if you're spending, you know, five grand a month, it's probably a three-day check-in because there's just nothing you can do between that. Yeah, you have to have time to data builder, right? Right. So every three days, we're going to jump in. And if we notice a downtrend, especially if it's distinct, what I want my team to do is just reach out and just be like, hey, James, just so you know, I saw a drop, probably not a big deal, but I'm going to keep an eye on it. And that, if you're an agency or an agency owner or a client manager, that alone is the thing that will build trust and maintain trust with the client for a millennia. And what sucks for most agencies is most of them are doing the work, but they're not communicating that they're doing the work. So they actually are going in and they're going, oh, you know what? That's a drop. That's interesting. It's probably just trend or whatever. I'll come back and I'll look at it in three days. But then the client sees it the next day. They're like, oh, dear God, what's happening? And now the next words that you say are the most frustrating words. I know. I saw it yesterday. It's not a big deal. And either if you know and you saw it yesterday and you tell me like, I'm now I'm mad or I think you're lying and you're trying to pacify me because yeah. anybody who sees that downtrend is they're irate at that point. For agencies, number one, get out ahead of it and be the one that brings up the problems. So many, especially younger agency owners, they think that if they can hide from the problems, that's not your job. Your job is to bring the problem and then sit and watch it with the client. And you're like, hey, we're going to have to take care of this together. And that's all the client wants from you. They're not going to blame you for the problem. If you can make a reasonable case, you know, as long as you didn't cause it. So that's number one. Number two is anytime a client comes to you and says, oh, you know, things are down. Everything's horrible. The world's on fire. My initial reaction used to be like, calm down, which is the, it's the wrong word. The real key, I think, to life is complete and total empathy. This looks really bad. I agree. Look at what they're looking at and respond to what they're looking at the way that you would respond to it as though it was yours. So they're gonna be like, my sales are in half. And you look at that and you're like, oh yeah, I see that. You're absolutely right. And man, if my sales got cut in half, I'd be freaking out. Let's dig in this together. And then it's, it's hey, you know what? I think we should actually stay calm. We don't wanna make any big rash changes. Let's go figure out why this is. But trying to jump to logic right out of the gate, I think is a flawed model. I think it's empathy first. I agree if I were you. And then you get to, now it's not you and I across the table from each other. I cross over to your side. We lock arms together. We're buddies and we're like going to go tackle this. And I realize that feels a little touchy-feely, but I just think it's so, so important to stop and to put yourself in the other person's shoes and realize, man, this for me is a job. I'm managing one account. I've got 30 accounts on my slate and I've got another call in 29 minutes. For this person, this is their livelihood. Let me just yes. stop for a minute and say like, you know what? This would freak me out too. And I'm going to get to the bottom of it and then do that. 
You know, that's the other thing is actually do the damn job. That was such a departure, dude. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to get on like a weird soapbox soliloquy. Forgive me. No, don't, don't worry at all. I think I go off on tangents all the time. So I'm the worst person for that. <laughs> I had an idea when you were talking about all the things that could go wrong to kill your conversions. One of them that's come up for us often is people starting to bid on your brand traffic or not just your brand name, but the names of your products and you don't realize it. And so yes. you're doing all this amazing awareness building. And then I sneak it, which is something I do, by the way. Like, I'm not telling you it's a bad thing. I actually think it's a great who strategy. Who doesn't? Yeah, who does? That's exactly right. If it's you're not game, doing it, yeah. you're flawed. Yeah. But somebody's sneaking in and, and scooping out your bottom of the funnel traffic, and you don't even realize that they're doing it. But that's the sort of thing you'd pick up, again, doing a visibility check, looking at right. your Google your front page of Google and making sure you do that as well, not in like your browser, just so yeah. you're not getting served the personalized results. Well, if um, you want to be real sneaky, if you're bidding on somebody else's brand, go figure out where their corporate office is and exclude their corporate, exclude that geography from your campaign. And that way, if they're being lazy about the way they check, they'll never know. That's mean. Yeah, <laughs> straight up but evil. Brilliant. I don't know who would do such a thing. That's fantastic. That's one of those things you would identify. Well, I'd like to think you'd identify and just being familiar with your AdWords account would pick that up, right? For most people. But Yeah, uh, Google's going to show you auction insights. It'll show you who's bidding on your name. But if you're not bidding on your name, you don't get that data. I, so I have another... This is not as relevant, but you mentioned if somebody comes in and price matches your product or they have a better image. This came from a friend of mine who sold memory cards. He sold more money in memory cards for two or three years than anybody else in the world. He was like the primary, the number one memory card wow. guy. He was the biggest buyer from like the whatever plant in China makes the memory cards. The thing about memory cards is a memory card is a memory card, right? Like the value proposition is very, very, very slim. You're going to have a hard time convincing me like my plastic is actually more durable. and won't. So the thing that he did that I thought was absolutely brilliant is he would put random ad hoc stuff on the memory cards, like recipes. Now it's like, okay, I need a 32 gig memory card and I have two and they're the exact same price, but this one has, you know, like every Martha Stewart recipe ever made or whatever. And, and so as weird a departure as that is, one thing that I think e-com store owners should do is supplement with digital products. If you're selling a barbecue grill and I'm comparing your grill to 15 other grills and they're all basically the same price, but you've got a four-hour masterclass from the guy that just won barbecue off 2023, which would cost you nothing, right? Like it would cost you, it'd be like, you call up that guy who's a local celebrity, but it's not like he's a billion dollars. And you're like, hey man, if I pay you a grand, can you just record a video? using whatever product this is and, or I'll send you a free barbecue grill or whatever. And now when I'm That's comparing barbecue idea. grills, it's like, oh dude, I get that. And I get the masterclass. I think you do that for mechanical pencils. I think you do that for cell phone. Just give them a tutorial, a how-to, a masterclass or whatever. And now that bundle becomes a category of one and you're no longer competing only on price. It's enhancing your offering, really, really yeah. enhancing your offering in a way that would be difficult for a lot of people to match as well. Um, well, dude, the cost of delivery is absolute zero and it's a little bit of relationship yeah. building and you just got to edify and credentialize the person that you're using because you know, there's some brand building there too. So many influencers would do that for free just because now they're going to get the brand awareness. What aren't we talking about on this topic? What haven't we hit that we need to hit? Did I skip any of your notes or categories? I think we've covered pretty much well everything that I hadn't noted down, really. We've covered like the seasonality thing, yeah, what to do, what not to do. I think we've pretty much well gone through it. If somebody's starting fresh, given your pedigree in the e-com world, and even this topic aside, just you're going to talk to some young bucks out there. And if you wanted to encourage them along their journey, what would you say to them right now? Like, what are the things that either you wish somebody had told you or you see young founders needing to hear? I think don't, don't overthink things. Don't put things off and don't try and overly plan things. Get on with things because mm. sometimes if you spend too much time deliberating on something and the best way to attack it, 
it's better to just try it and test it and see if it works. And if it doesn't, go at it again. <laughs> I see a lot of people, and I go to this myself again, of deliberating on something for weeks and never actually finishing it where I could have just got on and just gone, this will do for now. Let's see how that flies. And um, that might fly contrary to a lot of other people's beliefs, but getting something 80% of the way there and testing it is a lot better than getting it 100% of the way there and never doing it because you didn't get it the 100%. That last final 20% can often be a very big stretch to achieve. Yeah, I think that's such phenomenal advice. I'm actually ashamed of what I'm, the story I'm about to share. I was with a business mentor. He and I were at a little mini conference type thing. It was like 50 people in a room, basically. And you see presenters going up. And there was a gentleman that came up and was very successful in a space I was in at the time. And later I told my mentor, I was like, dude, that pissy guy, I'm so much smarter than that guy. What obnoxious words to say, right? Like what a douchebag I am. But I was like, I'm so much smarter than that guy. And my mentor looks at me and he goes, yeah, but he does it. There was so much truth because I would sit there and I would tinker and I would hone and I'd craft and I'd, when I would think in it, but I'd never launch, I'd never publish, I'd never push, I'd never try. It needed to be 100%. And the guy in question who I actually still know, man, he just throws massive amounts of spaghetti at the wall. And he does these launches and these challenges and these webinars that are always half-assed, half-baked, half-cooked. They piss me off, like typos and Zoom links that don't work. And I'm not telling you to go this far, but it is an, an amazing case study. There's definitely a balance. Yes. Yes, you but need to be this, past the 50% mark. <laughs> you need to be able to get on the Zoom, but this dude just he doesn't care. And then he figures out what works. And then once it works, he actually has people around him along the periphery. And I need to stop describing him because people are going to figure out who he is, who will then come in and like hone it and make it good. And then they mint money. Man, just get started. There's no reason not to. This James, this is so good. Last words to you. Any anything else that we need to say? Thanks for having me on here. It's been great to talk yeah. to the guy that I usually watch on the TV on YouTube. Well, I appreciate you coming on. If you're watching this and you need help with e-com, reach out to our buddy James. I'm not an affiliate. I just like him. I think he has a lot of good stuff to say. And sometimes it's nice to just have that support. I've never not benefited from coaching or consulting. As long as you're smart about the coach that you hire, I think that can be a really, really powerful boon. Other than that, like, comment, subscribe. I shoot a video every day. I hope I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Google Ads Podcast. For more ways to grow your business with Google Ads, you can subscribe to the Solutions 8 YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to work with the best Google Ads agency in the world, you can visit Solutions 8 at sol8.com. Custom here. If you're running Google Ads, even if your campaigns are successful, my years of experience have taught me that there are almost always enormous improvement opportunities. Now, what if the best Google Ads agency in the world was willing to review your Google Ads campaigns for free and provide you with a comprehensive action plan, no cost or obligation? Notice, I didn't say audit or evaluation. I said action plan a bullet point by bullet point breakdown of exactly what needs to be done to improve your Google Ads campaigns. Yours to keep, no cost or obligation. Head over to solate.com to get a free Google Ads action plan customized for your business. No strings attached. That's sol8.com. Sol, the number eight.com.